right, well, welcome to Outpost Community Church. If you guys have not met me, my name is Greg. I have the privilege of being the pastor here. And uh, we're in the midst of a series that we're calling Patterns, Patterns for Renewal. And we're looking at spiritual disciplines and how we can make those a pattern of our life to lead to renewal in our hearts in a way that just transforms us. And as we're transformed and we're renewed, it leads to revival all around us because renewal always breaks out into others. And so, hey, glad you guys are here. Are you glad to be here? It's good to see you. It's good to be alive and hanging out and seeing your faces. So, hey, I don't know if you guys have ever <clears throat> hunted before. I don't know. It's in Wyoming, so there's a good chance maybe you have. Um, but when you, uh, there's a thing about pronghorn, or if you're not from here, where I come from, antelope, uh, that is unique. That if, uh, you know, I have not had a lot of good antelope or pronghorn meat, and I hear there's a reason why their meat could be really bad or really good, okay? Some of you in here know what the reason is. And I had a call to confirm this with a biologist here locally. So thank you, Tony Mong, wherever you are. Um, yeah, yeah, woo. Um, but apparently with uh, antelope, with pronghorn, if you want the meat to taste really good, you have to shoot them when they have no idea it's coming. And you've got to drop them instantly. Is that true? Right? If, if an antelope, it sees you coming with those giant bug eyes that they've got, and it takes off running, which is one of the second fastest land animal in the world, if you have to chase this thing down, it's going to be so full of adrenaline and all these things uh, that it's going to actually ruin the meat if you put it down. So I hear one of the rules if you want to hunt uh, pronghorn is you've got you to shoot them when they're just eating. You've got to catch them off guard and put them down. Sounds like a good way to go down, right? Like if you're going to hit me, like, hit me right here, don't miss, and I don't want to know it's coming. And so that's what makes their meat taste so much better is when it's not spoiled that way. And I know there's other rules to it, putting it on ice and all that. But I'm telling you guys about that because what, what's so important in seeing that is that our environment matters. The way that we live our life and the environment that we live in really matters because we are a product of our environment. So it's not just that you got to put the pronghorn down instantly before its heart rate gets up. It's also what they eat, right? It's also, you know, has it been running, all these things. And um, so I want to show you this image we're going to put up on the screen, and it's what we've been talking about for a while. And uh, it, we're talking about renewal, and we're talking about renewal at the depths of who we are, which is in our heart. But I showed you guys this at the very beginning, okay? This is you, all right? I know you're simpler to look at than you thought, but at the center of who you are is your, your spirit. It's the heart. It's the will. It's the place where all the major decisions are made, right? It's in control of everything. But outside of that is your mind, which is your thoughts and your feelings, okay? Think knowledge, think wonder, all right? Two different things, but they go together. Outside of that is your body, and your body plays a huge impact or has, it plays a huge part in renewal, in patterns of renewal. You're going to use your body, and you're going to place yourself in certain positions. And so as I'm talking about the pronghorn today, this is why it matters, because your body is inside of a social context. It's inside of a social context. And so your environment has a big impact on who you are. It's not what you are, but it has a big impact on who you are, okay? And a lot of us are like pronghorn, all right? The flavor of our life is dependent on how much we've been running. Isn't that true? And some of us in this room, we're running really hard and we're feeling pretty worn out pretty exhausted, and maybe spiritually we're getting some rhabdo coming on. We're starting to lock up in a lot of ways. And uh, we're not as flavorful, not as salty in our words, not as, uh, as kind, not as loving, not as patient. Uh, I don't know about you, uh, I have little children, and it's like we're in the midst of the longest sickness in human history, 
Okay, if one person's not sick, somebody else is sick. And as soon as they're done, the next person's sick. Anybody got, got that going on right now? All right, combine that with not sleeping. And it's not that I just, I, I lose the, the, the good Christian saltiness and I start taking on the bad kind of saltiness. You know what I'm talking about? My, my words aren't seasoned with salt, they're just salty. All right, not kind. And so our jobs, our relationships, our kids, uh, you name it, for a lot of us in this room, have sucked the life out of us. You, you feel that? Like you just feel drained. Anybody feel drained? Just absolutely drained. And so we do a couple things, all right? We're either running on adrenaline, trying to get ourselves excited to go back at it, or, so, or we're running on caffeine, okay? Well, anybody get some good coffee, hopefully, uh, this morning? But we're also easily irritated. We're not sober-minded. We're not making the decisions that we'd like to make. We uh, are not patient, and worst of all, we don't have a good view of who God is, a good view of who we are, a good view of the people around us, because we're so clouded with exhaustion and frustration, and it, we're easily triggered. Anybody, anybody resonate with that? I'm telling you right now, I'm teaching this message to me, and if you get to be blessed by it, good for you. But I am hearing this. And so here's what happens when we get this way, guys, and we live in a busy, 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 busy world. All right, a busy environment. Our environment in Cody is so full of sports and jobs and all the expectations and people who don't sleep and, and sickness and all these things. And it just keeps us busy. Every time I talk to somebody, how's it going? Oh, it's busy, right? Everybody's busy. And so we are tempted to do two things. Number one, we, we hit this uh, point where we, you know, we're so exhausted that we're kind of tempted towards distractions. Anybody that way? Where it's like, man, I'm going to hit the fridge. I'm so exhausted, I'm going to the fridge, and at my house, I'll go to the fridge and I'll just stand there and look, there's nothing, and I still just stare, just hoping to God that something will magically appear that's in the shape of an ice cream tub, all right? All right, so we run to that. Sometimes we run to TV. Anybody that way? Like, I'm that way, where I'm like, I'm just so exhausted that I just wanna sit down and I just wanna watch something mindless, and I wanna laugh, or, and I want, some, I want somebody else to think for me. And so we have a temptation just to fill ourselves up with these other things. Okay? Sometimes it's even church stuff, getting together and gathering. Like, I, I gotta do, I gotta do, I gotta do. And you feel vulnerable, you feel sensitive. You're like, well, I better do something good, right, to feel better about myself. And, and I tell you what, we're talking about, you know, silence and solitude today, which is funny in the context of everybody getting together and me being loud and singing worship and all that. And uh, silence and solitude is on the same coin, it's opposite side of fellowship. Fellowship is really important for us. It does fill us up. Being here together and seeing your faces and being encouraged by you, it does fill us up. But one of the other temptations we have when we get maxed out and we get exhausted, and man, anybody ever been exhausted by church? Um, if I could raise all of my limbs right now, I would do it, okay? Get so exhausted by church. So one of the temptations that I felt, maybe you felt, is isolation, where you just want to be like, you know what? I'm done. I want to back out, okay? Let's, uh, just raise your hand if you felt that, and everybody look around and see somebody. Raise them high. If you ever felt like you're just like, you know, I just want to run away. I remember when we had our first kid, my wife told me after it was all done, she's like, listen, there was a couple points where I wanted to get in the car and leave you. And I was, wasn't too hurt because I was like, yeah, I would leave me too, you know. Um, there's a point where you get so exhausted that you go, I just want to isolate. And I want to tell you something. It's actually coming from something that you really need. You're not totally off base when you want to isolate. But the reality is isolation puts you in a place of more vulnerability and more temptation what you really need, and we're going to see in Scripture today and this morning, is you need silence and you need some solitude. 
Amen? I just need to be quiet. I just need everybody in the house to go to their room and be quiet. We need silence and solitude. We're going to talk about the blessings of that today. There's a guy who wrote a book called, uh, called This Still Hour, Austin Phelps. He says this, talking about silence and solitude. It's been said that no great work in literature or in science was ever wrought by a man who did not love solitude. We may lay it down as an elemental principle of religion that no large growth and holiness was ever gained by one who did not take time to often be long alone with God. Think about that. Now, silence and solitude, when I'm talking to Cody people, can be a little confusing because you love silence and solitude, right? That's why you moved here, right? Summertime comes, what are we doing? Nothing but silence and solitude. We're up in the hills and we hope no one finds us. But that's isolation sometimes, right? That's different. We're going to talk about silence and solitude. So what is silence and solitude? And then we're going to talk about some benefits of it. We're going to look at scripture. And guess who's going to be our example today? Jesus. Not me. I've got some stuff to learn. Silence and solitude is this. So let's talk about silence. Silence is, when I'm defining it, what I'm talking about this morning is a voluntary and temporary abstinence from speaking so that certain spiritual goals might be realized, might be sought. You understand? It's not just being quiet just so you don't hear anything. It's quietness with an intentionality of meeting spiritual goals. And solitude's almost exactly the same thing. It's a voluntary and, Cody people, temporary withdrawing to privacy for spiritual purposes. That's got a reason. So what are the benefits? Well, we're going to look at those this morning. Number one is restoration, okay? Restoration through silence and solitude. So let's get into the word and let's look at how we see this in scripture. In Mark chapter 6, you guys don't have to go there. Some of this will be on the screen, but we're going to be going all over the place. We're going to be tracking down Jesus' lifestyle, okay? In Mark chapter 6, verse 7, we read about Jesus sending out his disciples. He sends them out two by two to go and do uh, some ministry in the region. And so he sends them out and they're traveling light. He tells them not to take very much. It's basically just like their clothes, and that's it. And they go out in twos, and they're gone. And so they're talking ministry and the message of Jesus. They're staying with strangers. They're eating other people's food. I mean, think about how, like, just kind of exhausting and anxious that can make you. Right? Some of you in this room, like, if I ask you for March 27th, before then, to go knock on your neighbor's door to invite him over for breakfast, some of you are going, no, that's not me. I'm not doing that. And Jesus literally sent them to villages that some of them maybe have never gone to. And so he has them go, and they go do this, and they're staying with people. They're eating other people's food, which is kind of weird and strange. Well, then they finally come back. And in verse 30, we see these guys who've been out there walking, getting food as they can get it, staying with other people, probably sleeping in, like, horrible spots. They come back, and in verse 30 of Mark chapter 6, we read this. It says this. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. Verse 31, and then he said to them, Jesus, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in a boat to a desolate place by themselves. I love this. I, like, I love this scene. It's so, like, put your mind in there. It is so cool. They're coming back, and they're all jazzed about ministry, all that they got to see God do. And I'm telling you, ministry is awesome. 
Seeing Paul and Tara's story, hearing the stories, things I get to hear every week of what God's doing in your lives, I have the best job in town, and you should be jealous of me. It is a wonderful thing to do. And so they're coming back, and they're jazzed, they're excited. But Jesus can tell that they're exhausted and needing a break to eat and rest. So he pulls them out of a successful ministry and takes them a boat to go away to be with him. Like, I wish Jesus would just show up in my life and be like, Greg, come here, bud. Get in the truck with me. We're driving away. I'd be like, yes. Do we have to tell anybody? No. Awesome. Let's get out of here. He just pulls them away. He's, guys, you're exhausted. Let's go. Now, I think some of you, and I think Christian people, right, if Jesus wasn't involved in this, you'd be like, hold on a second here. People are coming to your door every single day. You want help and want to hear about the gospel, want to hear this message, and you're going to go away? Do you ever feel that in your ministry? right? Or you feel that in your family? There's just needs and needs and needs and needs and you never feel permission to pull away because they're just always there. Anybody? Moms in the room? Yeah, you feel that. It's just like always there. But Jesus, he knows something. And in Matthew chapter 5, he says it like this. He's talking about pronghorn. He's talking about you. Matthew chapter 5. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? Anybody feel like you just, man, you got nothing left and you just feel so drained and there's no flavor to your life anymore, right? I had a person give me feedback last week. It was really great. Actually, it was feedback through a person saying, man, I can tell how Greg is doing by how he teaches, right? And I think last week they were like, he didn't look as salty. He didn't look as flavorful. He must have been tired, right? Great feedback. I loved it. But the truth is, yeah, it's like you get to a point where you're not bringing your best self. And Jesus knows that. He says it's no longer good for anything, uh, talking about when the salt is gone, he's saying it's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. And I think when we get to the point where we're so exhausted, we just feel like we're trampled, right? There should be a lot more amens in this room. Or else y'all are so rested up, y'all need to start getting after it so you can at least sympathize with me a little bit. These disciples did a great job, and so many of you guys are doing a great job, but they're human. They're human which means they have limitations that God has set for them. You know you've got to sleep, right? God doesn't sleep, but we got to sleep. And so Jesus recognizes that. And could they keep on working? Sure, but they would not be the version that God wants for them. They would not be seasoned with salt, and their lifestyle would not be filled with joy. And that's what God wants for you in your ministry. What a beautiful thing. Okay? Like an antelope running and stealing its flavor, he needs them to be restored to pour back out. But this wasn't just a suggestion for Jesus to his disciples. This was also the way of Jesus. I hope this encourages you. This is what Jesus did, okay? Think about what it was like to be Jesus just for a second. Like, just think about it. Like I said earlier, okay? His life was so full of expectations. He had demands. He had opportunities. Imagine being a guy who could heal people. Like, people are going to be banging on your door all the time. And we see that, actually, in Luke chapter 4. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus arrives in Capernaum. He starts teaching, probably for hours, to these people. And I don't know if you've ever taught before. It's exhausting. It's so exhausting. Then a man with a demon cries out in the middle of his teaching. Like, think about how much anxiety that brought about, okay? All right? In the middle of it, super awkward, okay? And then he handles that. Then the next day, he goes over to Peter's house. 
He heals Peter's mother-in-law, which I'm sure was a little bit fun and exciting, and, and I'm sure it caused a bit of commotion and emotional uh, intenseness going on. And then a verse later, the rest of the town starts showing up to Jesus and all getting healed, and he's doing this for hours, hours, until like late at night where he's got to send them all home. Can you imagine? That's two days of Jesus' life. We would be maxed. I'd be like, hey, that, I, I don't know if I can do this anymore. And check out what he does next. I love it. Verse 42, Luke chapter four, verse 42. And when it was day, in other words, the next morning, he departed and went into a desolate place. Jesus would get maxed and would go away to be with God. Do you see that? He was drained from a good work and he, that he did in the past couple days and he needed to be alone with God. Like, this can feel kind of strange, right, when we think about Jesus. I don't know how you think about Jesus, but theologically we know that Jesus was fully God. Did you know God never sleeps? He never rests. He never gets distracted, all right? He, he never has to. Now, I know you're going to be like, well, Genesis, on the seventh day, he rested. I gotcha. But the reality is our God never has to sleep. If he rests, is an example for you. But Jesus just wasn't just fully God. He was also fully man. So Jesus can sympathize with what it really feels like to be weak, to be just like you. He knows what it's like to be all the way at the end of the rope, to feel so drained that you just got to get alone. And he doesn't just get alone going isolation. He gets alone to be with God, to go seek his father. Isn't that weird? It's like God going to get with God. And what a great example it is, because he's fully God, but yet he's fully man. So how will your saltiness be restored? One of the most important patterns of restoring saltiness of our hope, joy, and peace is shown to us in Jesus' pattern of silence and solitude, going away to be with the Lord. So guys, if you're in this room and you're feeling drained, okay, you feel like you've, you've been pouring out of your storehouses, and you feel like it's time to fill back up Know that that's the way of Jesus. And one of the ways that we do that is through silence and solitude. you got to break away. All right? At the very end of the message, I'm going to talk about little ways that you could do this. Uh, maybe you can't just walk out into a desolate place. All right? you got some kids who need to be fed, whatever. There's ways that we can do this, and we'll talk about that. But I want you to understand, like, this is a part of the mission. You can be so exhausted that you don't seek silence and solitude to be a Jesus. Instead, you want to sever all ties with the mission. And I think some of you are in that place, or you've been in that place, where you're so tired, volunteering or whatever it may be, that you're just like, I just want to run away. Know that it's okay to be where you're at, but what you really need is silence and solitude. Not to run away from the church, not to go, I'm sick of this and I'm all done, but to run to Jesus. All right? You're doing a good thing, but you got to do the really great thing and be filled up with him and get refilled. Okay? So that's how we see silence and solitude could be part of restoration. But silence and solitude is not just about restoration. It's also about developing a dependence on God. And the more that we do it, it develops our dependence. And the more we just, we feel more dependent on silence and solitude to keep that dependence. All right, so let's take a look at that. So I think it's safe to say, like we've been talking about with Jesus, that Jesus never really had it easy. Do you think he had it pretty easy? Jesus really never had it that easy. Let me tell you, he literally came to rescue humanity who are notoriously and unanimously against what is good and right and perfect. In other words, they're against God. They're against him. And he came to rescue these people. You. 
When you were an enemy and you hated God, he came for us. And to do that, it meant that he was going to have to teach people who wouldn't listen. He's going to have to feed people who weren't thankful. And he was going to heal people who would not come back to honor him. And most famously, he was going to be killed by the very people he came to save. Does that sound like a great life? Right? Like, here I am, Lord, send somebody else. I do not want to do that. That's you guys. You're like, man, you think about with my kids. Like, I'll do something for my kids. Like, hey, here's some cereal. I don't want cereal. I'm like, what you're asking for is a spanking. I'm going to beat you, kid. Right? I'm just saying what you really want to say, but you're too nice to say. Okay? But we get to this point where, but Jesus, like, he keeps pouring out. He keeps pouring out. And he's doing it with the people who are just really hard-headed. But to, so to complete this kind of ministry that Jesus is in, he, Jesus needed an amazing dependence on God, and he shows us that. Matthew chapter four, okay, we see silence and solitude as a part of his dependence. Matthew chapter four, verse one, it says, then Jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. So here's the thing. God knows God knew the trajectory of Jesus, that what he was on, and that that journey was going to require a lot of dependence, and he starts off his ministry with silence and solitude. Jesus starts his ministry with silence and solitude. Now, I want you to see what Satan wants to do, and this is what he's doing in your life right now. Satan wants to come into the silence and solitude because God knows that Jesus needs to start this way, and Satan knows it as well, because Satan knows the trajectory of Jesus' life as well. And so what he does is he comes to interrupt the silence and interrupt the solitude, right? You got, he, he, I, I don't want you to like name names, but there's, there's some things in your life that are interrupting that silence, interrupting that solitude, and throwing you off, right? I think Jim Elliott says it really well. Satan knows what silence and solitude can do. This is what Jim Elliott says, the famous missionary. He says, I think the devil has made it his business to monopolize on three elements, noise, hurry, and crowds. Jim says, Satan is quite, uh, Satan is quite aware of the power of silence, and so is God. And so Satan jumps into the silence and solitude that Jesus is on, the beginning of his ministry. In verse 3, it says this. And the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. When you need to be with God, you're trying to develop dependence on God, you're trying to to jump in with him, you've probably got all these things in your life that are challenging you. And maybe it's not hunger, but for Jesus, it was hunger. 40 days of not eating. Do you think this is a real temptation for Jesus? It would be for me. It says that he was hungry. And Satan breaks in and wants to tempt him, all right? He says, okay, command these stones. If you're the son of God, do this. And he's trying to tempt him. He's trying to break that silence. But think, uh, but watch what happens next in verse four. We get to see the fruit of what God has been doing in Jesus and Jesus has been doing with God. We see the fruit of it in verse four. It says this, but he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Another way to say that is, Man is not dependent on bread alone, but dependent on the very word of God. And to hear the word of God, sometimes you have to be quiet to listen. You see what Jesus is showing us? Jesus was absolutely dependent on food. If Jesus didn't eat soon, he was going to die. He's absolutely dependent on it. But Jesus was also showing us that we are, we are spiritually dependent 
on the word of God to live this life. And Jesus was as well. Like, think about that and apply that to your life. Think about all the things that in your life that you feel like you're dependent on. Let me ask you a different way. What are the things in your life that you consistently rely on to feel alive? For some of you, it is, it is food. But for others of us, it's, it's money. I've got to have money. I've got to have money. Like, what do you, if we don't have money, what are we going to do? Got to have money. And we rely on it. Maybe it's your spouse's approval or your friend's approval of you. And a lot of your life is so dependent on the approval of others that you're, do, you're following into patterns that are, are shaped by that. Not by silence and solitude, but by speaking up or being involved or volunteering so much and doing all these things because you need their approval because you are dependent on it for life. Anybody? That's me. Maybe it's sleep. Gosh, I gotta have sleep. Now, do you need to, do you need to sleep? Yeah, you do. I need to sleep this afternoon. Got to sleep. Some of us, like, I got to get to the gym. I, if I don't go to the gym, I'm just angry. I, I got to go to the gym. I've heard people say that. We are all dependent on so many different things, and they're not necessarily bad things. But if we're never living in dependence on God, then we're never really living. You understand? If you're not living in dependence on God, you're never really living. Because when we live in dependence on God, we're going to begin to see everything that we're living with correctly. But when we don't, we're going to raise up our gym, we're going to raise up our relationships, we're going to raise up our money, we're going to raise up our food above God. And we're going to say, I have to have these, and then I'll give me a little bit of some Sunday ministry. That's why your life is miserable, guys. God's like this Sunday morning ministry thing for you, but food, money, clothing, whatever else is your God. And Jesus shows us that we have to be dependent on him. And he just straight up gives it to Jesus. He'd be like, hey, I don't need that food, I need God. That's what I need. I love it. So now that we know that silence and solitude is what we need to grow in dependence on God, and it's gonna make us dependent when you pull away and you drive out all those things and you're sitting there with God and you spend time with him and you're beginning to grow this dependence, you're beginning to see him in a different way. As you're doing that, um, it's gonna create a dependence on you, it's gonna fill you up, it's gonna restore you. But I wanna talk to you a little bit about like proactive and reactive dependence through silence and solitude, okay? I want you to think about this, proactive and reactive, okay? Verse 35 of Mark chapter 1, we see Jesus being proactive. It says, and rising early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed, all right? Jesus was proactive in his ministry with silence and solitude. He didn't wait till he was on E to go get filled up. He would go get filled up with Jesus. He'd start his morning, and why did he do that? Because look at this, people are begging for him. Simon, Peter, and those who were with him, says this, searched for him and they found him and said to him, everyone's looking for you. He goes, that's why I'm hiding, you know? Makes sense. Everyone's looking for you, verse 38. And he said to them, let's go on to the next towns. This is Jesus, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went through all Galilee, Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and casting out demons. Jesus knew he had a ministry ahead of him that day and that week, and so he decides, I gotta get with God before I go. So he gets in silence and solitude, pulls away, drives everything out to pray and to listen to his God, his Father, before he goes and does it. You see the, preact- the proactive work going on there? Jesus took time to be alone because the mission that was ahead of him. A lot of you guys, listen, I know that Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, and Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, it tells us, guys, that if you are in Jesus, God has a plan for you. He's got you on a mission today. 
Like how many of you guys started your morning this morning going, God, I don't know what is going on today, but here I am. I am yours. Tell me what you want me to do. And that's how I want to start my day. I've started to do that more often. By the time my feet touch the ground, I'm already praying, God, here I am. What do you want me to do? I have no idea how this day is going to go at all. But I want to do what you want to do. You have prepared before I even existed good works that I should walk in them. What are those good works? And I want to walk in them. So that's how proactively Jesus starts. He starts with wanting to uh, be with the Lord and said, I got to go do this mission. So I want to be with God first. Now that's proactive, okay? But Jesus also shows us a reactive, okay? Both are fine. Both are really good. Uh, In Matthew chapter 14, um, we see a picture of Jesus seeking silence and solitude after hearing some news. He just found out that his cousin, his family, had just been beheaded, just been killed by a tyrant, all right? She's been killed by a tyrant because some girl danced for the tyrant and asked whatever she wanted, chopped off his cousin's head. And so this is what we read in Matthew chapter 14, verse 13. Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. Like there's so much beauty in that verse right there. Number one, that he feels pain just like we do and brokenness of losing his family but also that he goes away, not to hide just because he's angry, but to go and to be with the Lord. To be alone, to be by himself, to be with God. You see that? It's proactive and it's reactive. Jesus was proactively and reactively dependent on God in every situation, which leads him to practice a pattern of silence and solitude. And maybe this week you've had situations come up unexpectedly. I know Chet this morning was talking about, you know, just having situations in our life that come when you're not expecting it. Anybody have those kind of things? You know, you're not a human if you don't have unexpected things come your way. Sometimes you can start your morning and you got, here's my plans, here's my to-do list, right? Any, any checklist guys in here? I write down a checklist of things I want to do today. And then I get a phone call and all of a sudden the checklist is out the window because that thing now dominates. And that's okay. But am I coming at it with a dependence on God? Okay. Now listen to this. I want to read to you what happens next. He just found out his cousin had passed away. He's seeking to be alone, and we can all understand why. Jesus, you have permission. Go do that. But check this out. When the crowds heard it, this is verse, uh, the end of verse 13 and 14. This is right after. When the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns, and he went ashore, and when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Now, I want you to think for a minute. If you just found out your cousin died or your family member died and you just want to go away to be alone and you're going away, you got on a boat, you left, clearly you want to be alone and then everybody follows you and finds you, how would you feel about that? Right? Like this summer, some of you guys are going to, you're going to bounce. You're going to leave town in your camper. But what if I like showed up and I started knocking on your door? Hey, I just want to like talk to you about a few things. You're going to be like, are you kidding me, dude? This is, go ahead and take my, uh, my, my membership. I'm out of here. I'm no longer a member of Outpost. You follow me again, I'll kill you, right? How many would you guys feel? Would you be upset if somebody came and found you? You're trying to go to a cabin? If I go on vacation with my wife and we're gonna go on this time together and you show up and wanna talk to me about your spiritual life, I swear I will bury you in Mexico. <laughs> right? Yeah, I would be upset. I'm trying to get away. <laughs> but look at what Jesus does. He had compassion on them. He had compassion on them, and then he heals them. That's amazing to me. 
And what it tells me is, it's kind of like you driving your car, all right? Do you just drive your car all the way till it peters out? Or when you're at a quarter of a tank, do you go fill it up with some gas, right? It takes one lesson, one lesson, one time of running out of gas in Wyoming somewhere and you go, you know what, I should, I should have stopped. I should have stopped. But in our personal lives, the way we live our lives, guys, we always are running towards E, and then we're not in a good place to make decisions anymore. You know that? Man, I'm learning that this last month in ministry. I'll run till E, and then I'm wondering why I'm so angry and so irritable and so frustrated, and why am I yelling, and why am I doing, why, why is all these things happening? Because... I ran towards E. Jesus doesn't run towards E. Jesus is proactive and reactive. He's going to do it when he times of bad things happen. He's going to go run and to be the Lord. But before he even goes out, he's going to do it. God has always filled up. So there's always this margin of spiritual dependence and recovery and energy that he can be able to pour out. So when this stuff happens, he's not going, are you kidding me? Fire from heaven, just consume them all, right? Like he doesn't do that. Could he do it first? I bet he could. But he doesn't. He goes, come here. And he brings them in. Man, I need more silence and solitude in my life so that I can be like my Jesus, like my Savior, ready to be ready for whatever God has and to meet that need out of dependence and recovery because I spent time with my God in silence and solitude. Now, that's a lot of solitude, pulling away, getting with God, but we also talk about silence. What does silence have to do with anything? Anybody ever try to just like sit alone and, you know, a lot of these spiritual books, I've read several spiritual discipline books lately and they're like, you just gotta sit and you gotta listen. I'm like, he never talks to me. What am I talking about? Like, listen to what? All I can hear is everything in my house moving and whirring and buzzing, right? Anybody like that? Like, it's so hard. Like, I'm like, how do I sit here in silence? But there's like, there's this beauty in it. Donald Whitney, who wrote a book, who gave me this weird advice, um, said it like this, trust in the Lord God is frequently expressed through prayer. You talking to God. You praying shows your trust in him. You're going to God, you're praying to him. But sometimes it's better exhibited through a wordless, wordlessness before the Lord that by its quiet absence of anxiety communicates trust in his sovereign control. Wow. And maybe I didn't read that well. But David says it well in Psalm 62. My soul waits for God alone. For God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone, sorry this thing is, he alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. Sitting in silence is basically, God, I don't need to say anything. I don't have to stack up words, you're in control, I'm here before you. I wanna tell you, I practiced this over the last few weeks, just sitting, and I sometimes physically would just open up my hands in my my solitude and just sit there and try to listen. In my brain, it does, like Spurgeon says, it chases the butterflies, but sitting there and just kind of being alone. And then what I'll begin to do, because I have a practice of scripture memory, is I'll begin to listen to God through repeating the scriptures in my head. And just letting him go over and over and over and listening. God doesn't need all my words. He doesn't need all my words. Does he love to listen to me? Yeah, he does. But sometimes my soul, my heart is deeply changed, and I've noticed that. It's deeply changed when I just sit with him, and I just go, all right, God, I want to listen to you. I want to be quiet. Because everything in our life, everything in our life is hurry, noise, anxiety, all this stuff, isn't it? 
I want to tell you guys, you're going to give it a shot. We're going to give it a shot. Actually, at the end of the service, I'm going to make it do it. It's going to get so weird in here. Because if a, if, a, if a pin drops in this place, it echoes 19 times. It's wonderful. So whether we realize it or not, we are dependent on God. And when we seek silence and solitude to be with God, the truth is affirmed in that God meets us in our silence and solitude to fill us up and to hold us up, which is amazing. The last thing I want to show you about silence and solitude and what it gives for us is it also gives us guidance, okay? uh, There's a lot of things that it does, but the three things I wanted to show you were it restores our souls, our spirits. It creates a heavy dependence on God, which is so good because we're dependent whether we like it or not. And the last thing, it's a great way to seek guidance. Now, every one of you in this room has to make decisions, and a lot of you are making very important decisions uh, in your life this week Okay, but it's not always the the big decisions that are the things that decide your life. It's really just a stacking up of a lot of tiny decisions in your life. All right, so when we are making right decisions in all of our situations, it requires a really good perspective. Do you understand what I'm saying? If you have a bad perspective, you're not going to make a great decision. If you have a really good perspective, you're you're more likely to make a decision that that uh, uh, that matches the need of the day and what's really going on, okay? And I don't know about you, but there is somebody who's got a much greater and higher and cosmic perspective than us. And you know who it is? Sunday school answer? Jesus. Come on, guys. Jesus, wake up. Jesus, he's got a great perspective on how the whole world is working. And if he's already planned some works for you, you should walk in them. It might be a good idea to get his perspective on things. Am I right? Does that make sense? Okay, maybe not, but I think I'm right, Okay. So we need to seek the right perspective. Now, here's the thing about your life, guys, and this is why silence and solitude is so good when it comes to getting guidance. Your life is a lot like a, lot like a really cloudy night when you're out at ocean and you're trying to navigate with the stars. Think about that for a second. If you're out in the middle of the ocean and you've got nothing to look at except for the stars for your navigation, anxiety and all the things that are going on in your life and all the people that are around you and everything that you want and desire and all these things, it could become this massive cloud that prevents you from ever seeing where you really are. Do you understand? And so when we pull back into silence and solitude and we drive out all those things and we allow God's word to sit right in front of us and we drive out those things, it's like the, th- the, the clouds can clear and we can begin to take on the mindset of God and see things more clearly. I feel like that's pretty dang simple and I don't need to say anything else. Does that make sense? That's pretty simple. That's it. That's the reason why solitude is so good for finding guidance. And Jesus does it. Jesus does it. Luke chapter 6. And these days he went out to the mountain to pray. And all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them 12 whom he named apostles. Simon, who was Peter, Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, and so on. Jesus would go out and drive out all the world and be by himself underneath the stars to sit there and talk and listen to God to make a decision on who's going to be following him. Do you see this? Jesus lived a better life than you. And when we look at the, not just what he said, but the way he lived, I think we can get some good points on how to live the good life. And some of us need to pull away to pray to seek him in silence and solitude. So, It's a great place to find restoration with God. It's a great way to grow a dependence on God because you need him. You need him more than food. You need him more than your wife. You need him more than your kids. You need him more than your friend's approval of you. You need God. 
And man, when you, you have this tight dependence with him that you're finding in silence and solitude, we're just listening to him, it's, oh, it's gonna be a strength in your life. It's gonna be such a strength. And last, it's gonna be guidance. You're gonna sit there and you're gonna pray and you're talk to the Lord and all that stuff you're feeling is driven out and it's outside and, and the clouds clear and you're beginning to go, oh, that's the way you see the world, God. My bad, that's not how I was seeing it. And you see the Lord and you see the way he wants to lead and it's wonderful. Now, what are some ways that we can do this? What are some practical things? Because I think some of you guys are going like, all right, I got to go find a desolate place. I got to stay there all night. I don't know, do I, do I like bivy? Do I take a sleeping bag? Like, what do I, okay, look, let's just start with very simple. Here's some ways that you could practice silence and solitude today, all day, every day. You're like, I don't have time. Yes, you do. Well, first thing you could start with is minute retreats, minute retreats. Okay, every one of us, we, we have to drive, right? We're driving to places, and it's Wyoming. So usually when we have to drive, we've got to drive a long way to get anywhere, right? Do anybody, most of you guys have to drive, and you've got to drive, and sometimes you're driving alone. You know what? Turn off the radio, turn off the music, and in your driving, silence and solitude. You're the only one in the car. Don't listen to anything. Just sit there. Now, some of you are like, I already, ha- I already do that all the time. Now what you need to do is you need to redeem that time and make it about your relationship with God. Just take it and go, all right, God, I'm here. I'm in the car. I want to listen. Is there anything you want me to say? Don't play music. Don't play music. Another thing you can do, guys, is when you're, I don't know, some of y'all are like this. It's probably the younger crowd that's more like this. A lot of them will like, a lot of us will like read our Bibles and we'll also listen to Christian music and then we'll also have the TV going and have all this stuff, right? You anybody do that? Right? Like, gals, you're, in the, you're like, you're vacuuming, you've got a podcast going, right? Telling you how to like be a better mother and you're just like doing all this stuff. It's like, maybe you just like vacuum and just shut everything down. Just turn everything off and just listen to the Lord and be quiet and see him. So have minute retreats. These little times where you get 60 seconds to just pause and reflect. Here's another great way to do this, okay? Don't take your phone to the bathroom. If it's going the way it should, no, no one should be there with you. It should just be you there, right? Don't take your phone, don't take your phone. Just sit there, and you don't have to check your Robinhood account. You don't have to look at Instagram. You don't have to look at Fox News. You could just sit and be with the Lord. And I know you're going, like, that's so weird. But you could totally do it, and you could totally just have a good time just listening to the Lord. The shower is a great place to do that, okay? These are places where you're going, man, this sounds silly. I'm just saying, you get to redeem. You have a lot of time in your life for silence and solitude, all right? And if you're regular, at least twice a day, all right? I know, I'm being jokey. I'm just trying to ease your tension because these spiritual disciplines can feel really hoity-toity. And I want you to realize that God wants to meet you wherever you are and he's already with you. And you just gotta get your mind off of all this little reality around you and set it onto the real spiritual reality that's above you. So get in with some minute retreats. Also, guys, here's the thing. You will never do something that you don't plan for. Spiritually speaking, you'll never do anything you don't plan for. So you need to begin to make a plan for it. All right, make a game plan to get away. So the next thing is a getaway. Sometimes that's a day, sometimes that's a weekend. Um, I think it's a really good idea for you to like say, or like plan out where you could like drive to Red Lodge and you can go and you could just be alone. Just sit, maybe it's in a coffee shop and go up on a mountain, you could sit in your car, but go and do this. Now guys, I know a lot of you wanna go away and get alone, but what I want you to do that, go do that. It's so good to sit on the mountain and sit there and just glass and look for, look for animals. But take advantage of that time to sit and listen and reflect on God in that silence and solitude. Don't hear me say that don't go up there and do that. I'm saying do it, but invite God into it with you and get restored. Seek his guidance. When you're sitting there in glass and you're looking and a lot of you are terrible hunters, so you never see anything anyways, you could just be like, all right, Lord, you know what? I got this thing going on with my kids. I'm gonna sit right here and pray. I'm gonna seek your face. 
Guess what? You may not see the elk, but you will see God. So get with him. Get some retreats. Get a getaway. The other thing, a good tip is to find a, have a special place, okay? That's what these guys call a, a place where you can go regularly that's like for you. Like when you get there, you, it's automatic. Your psyche knows here's a turnoff place where we get to be together and sit, okay? And so that might be a local park that you can walk to. Uh, that might be your closet. Jesus uh, talks about that. Okay, somewhere in your basement, maybe it's your garage, all right, whatever. But make it a place where you can go and you can be, and it's just like a regular place you go to, okay? Right, maybe you, wherever that is, you have scriptures on the wall, you've got prayer requests on the wall, and that's a place where you just kind of sit and you be with the Lord. So find that. And here's the last tip I want to give you guys, and me and my wife do this a lot. We call it trade-offs. Do trade-offs, okay? So for my wife, uh, for me, the morning is extremely important from my spiritual health. Like I, I have to start my day with Jesus or I'm just a total wrecking mess. I am so dependent on God in the morning. And so Bonnie and I made this agreement where in the morning, if the kids wake up, she's gonna go take them. She's gonna be with the kids and it allows me up to 7.15. So I can get up at five, I can get up at seven, but whatever, it's my choice. But 7.15, that's when I'm coming out to help everybody out. But prior to then, it's my time. So I can sit in the room, I can read my Bible, I can spend time with Jesus, and she's going to take care of everything out there. And we agreed on it. Now, when I come home at the end of the day, I clock out of one thing and I clock back into the next thing. Right, guys? That's how it goes. If you're a wise husband, that's what you're doing. Um, and so I come in, and so she cooks dinner most of the time because I'm a horrible cook and I hate cooking. And I'm, I'm saying this really fast because I need a wrap-up. Um, but when it's done, I clean everything up with our kids. I put everything away, okay, and she goes to the room and she just basically hides out. And now it's her time to be with the Lord and she sits and she reads and she spends time and I get all the kids all cleaned up and all the living room, all that stuff done, you know how it is. And I get them down to bed and we read and we do all that stuff and then I come and I just like fall asleep, okay? And it's wonderful. And I can do it because I started my day off with Jesus and she could do it and she's ending her day with Jesus, but it's just the way we've worked it out. You guys see how this works? So I'm trying to help you guys understand, like, there's ways you could do this, and you might need to partner with whoever you live with if you live with somebody to be able to do it. But find spaces to do it. Be creative. Get after it. Guys, this has been so wonderful. We're not going to do the worship song at the end because I've gone way too long. And wait, have I? Yeah, what time we start this at, 9.30? Yeah, I've gone too long. I'm sorry. Let me get Kate. She's like, yeah, you're too long. Uh, I know Carson Kleinfeld's going to kill me, so it's going to be wonderful. Um, but listen, guys, it has been, I don't know if you've been practicing this. I've been on the walkie-talkie all this last week in prayer. I get in scripture every day. I do my scripture memory every day. I love it. And I'm not trying to brag to you guys. I just found that I'm more dependent on it, and I've realized it, than you have. That's it. The only difference between me and you right now is I know I need it more than you. And that's it. It's not because I'm special. It's because I'm more needy, and you just don't realize how needy you are. So, guys, I, I want to keep encouraging you. We talked about getting God's word. We talked about meditation and how that's, that's something you're doing all day anyways. Redeem it. We've talked about prayer. That's something you could talk to the Lord all day long, pulling out that walkie-talkie, hitting the Lord up. And today we talked about silence and solitude. It's something that you can do all day long. And maybe it's not as big as you want, but you can hit those ministry retreats and get restored, right? Create dependence. Get your guidance. You guys got ready? Hey, keep living a pattern of renewal. Let me tell you the one last thing before we leave. It's an announcement, and you will. You'll pick up your chairs, and we'll leave, and we'll get out of here. But last thing I want to tell you is we put together a book. All right, do we have that slide? Can you put that slide real quick, the patterns book? You got it? <laughs> Look at that. All right, hey, um, we produced a resource that's on Amazon. I know that sounds really amazing, but it's a lot easier than I thought it was to do it, okay? Um, but uh, Colleen Wacom, Bailey Heritage, Sydney Gunn worked really hard to put this thing together for this series, and we're just now coming out with it. If you go to Amazon, you can find it. It's Patterns for Renewal. If you look up Outpost Community Church, you can find it there too. 
This is an incredible way for you to practice these patterns we've been teaching you on a daily basis. It is awesome. We designed it specifically for you. So if you're studying God's Bible, or you're studying the Bible, you're studying the Scripture, and you're reading every day, it doesn't matter where you are in your Bible, you can use this. It's going to help you with Scripture. It's going to help you with Scripture memory. It's going to help you with your prayer life. It's got a page to prepare you for a community group, okay? So that person in your community who likes to go an hour and a half on the three questions, buy them this book. Because every week there's a page and it's got three lines that says, how are you feeding your soul? How are you feeding your flesh? How are you feeding others? And they only get three lines, bro. Okay? Only get three lines. It should take them 10 minutes to read it. And you'd be like, okay, you're done. And if they didn't fill it out, say, I don't even want to hear from you. You should have filled that thing out. That's just a joke. Some of you get it. Some of you don't. If you're not a member, we, in community, we ask each other three questions every week. How have you moved towards God? How have you moved away from God? How have you helped somebody else move towards God this week? And there's a page in there to help you do it. And there's a page every single week for Sabbath, which is today. And it's got a little thing. It's a speaker and speaker notes. And so everything I said today, you could have been writing it down in that book. Don't you wish you had a place to write down everything I said? Because everything I'm saying is just gold. It's gold. And if you were writing it down, you could remember it for months. It'd be wonderful. So hit, hit this up. I already bought one for my wife, bought one for myself. I'm really excited to jump into it, okay? Hey, I love you guys. I'm so sorry. I'm gifted in gab. It's literally my initials. But let me pray for you now, and let's get out of here, and let's go serve Jesus. Father in heaven, I just thank you that Jesus you sent him, and Jesus, that you lived a life that wasn't just an example in word, but an example in action. We live in a beautiful place, and we have a beautiful Savior. And I'm so thankful that when we sit with you, you know how we feel. You felt it. You sympathize with us. There was loss this past week. We buried, we buried sons yesterday, and you know what it's like. And so you sit with us in our silence and solitude. I pray that our people would um, not just be reactive when they get on empty, but they'd be proactive to get with you prior to the trials that they face. We pray your word would guide us and lead us. It'd be the, it'd be the guide of how we think, how we act. God, I pray that our people here would pray. Spirit of God, make us dependent on you, confessing our sins daily, finding healing, finding forgiveness finding joy, finding peace. And may the, the church of outposts be an absolute wrecking ball for Satan in this community because we don't live by bread alone. We live by the very word of God. To you be the glory and praise today and this week. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.